Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Good afternoon, everybody. It is the Steve Jones Show on a Wednesday, hump day, News Radio 1070 WKOK. Matt Catrillo here with you. Steve will soon be there from the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. Getting back to some Penn State football talk today. Mark Wokenrich, SI.com, is going to join us today to give his thoughts on the OC change to Mike Yurchich and all other things happening with Penn State football at this point. Who's leaving? Who's staying? We'll get into that with him coming up a little bit later on in the show. Hockey season back tonight. Flyers and Pens at 5.30. I can't wait. I'm ready for the NHL to get back at it here, so excited about that. And it should be a pretty good season, I, I think, for the Flyers with pretty much everybody from last year's team returning. Another second full year for Carter Hart in the net. And I think he's going to take that next step for the for the Flyers. And for the Penguins, a couple question marks in terms of where things are with some of the big guns, Sydney and Geno, etc. At goal, and, and uh, Jabari there, and just see if he can step up into that starting role this year. So a couple things to look out for for each of the Pennsylvania teams as they face each other tonight at 530. Do want to remind you a quick programming note: the impeachment vote is now is supposedly supposed to be getting underway shortly, if not already now. Um, so we'll be joining some coverage from CBSN once we get to a final vote decision and and the decisions come down and made. So we'll join CBSN once that happens for a short time, and then we'll come back to finish up things here on the Steve Jones Show once we finish up that coverage, but just want to make everybody aware that we will step aside for that coverage when we are ready for that, when the time comes for that. And of course, you can listen to that on WKOK, WKOK.com, and the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app. Also happening that we're going to be monitoring, well, actually, first let me give you this, the uh, latest Penn State Numbers are out. COVID testing numbers are out. This is for the period of January 2nd through the 8th. 1,094 tests conducted. Seven positive test results. Wrong button there. It's a little over 1,000 tests done so far. 1094. Seven positive test results. Those are the latest announced by... Penn State today and it looks like 
men's basketball is hopefully working towards getting things back underway with a game Sunday against Purdue, which we'll have here on WDKOK, at 1 o'clock tip, 12.30 pregame with Steve and Dick. So hopefully we'll get to that and we'll see if Steve has any updates regarding the men's basketball team. Able to do some things from what I've seen, but not really a whole lot of activity, but looks like there's still some promise as as when they'll get back to work. They've already missed, what, four games, I think, this year, three and four on the season. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that, see if there's any updates uh, to that as well. You just heard the wrestling update, too, with Steve. So yeah, he yeah, joins yeah. us now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, any, uh, I just want to check and make sure uh, any complaints on your part today? And just you know, anything I need to overcome before we start the show? Or? Um, the only thing pending I was just about to get to before you stepped in is I'm just monitoring this pending James Harden saga finally ending. Yeah. Apparently, the Sixers and the Nets are the top two teams to get him, and I don't. There's apparently a package out there that the Sixers are talking about that would send Ben Simmons and Tyrese Maxey to um, Houston for James Harden and P.J. Tucker, and I would not be a fan of that. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Uh, you know what's interesting is I think Tucker's actually a pretty good pickup. Um, I, I To me, I just don't I, want to give up I, Tyrese Maxey. That would be my thing. I'm I'm I, I'm okay am, with giving Ben Simmons for some reasons. I I am not. I'm not big on James Harden's game. I, I just think it's too James Harden centric, and I think you're a more dangerous team. I mean, let's say the Lakers obviously have great talent with Davis and so forth. But see, what's really made. LeBron James great over the years is that yes, LeBron James is the central figure in every game he plays yet LeBron James has the ability to make people around him better LeBron James is a fabulous passer you know, he's also a good defender a really good rebounder we all know about his scoring but he's a great passer James Harden just takes shots Ben Simmons' problem is he's a great passer that doesn't but doesn't have a good outside shot. You're really limited offensively. He expands your offense because he makes the other four people better. But his shooting ability is so limited that it doesn't round out the team well enough. You can pack your defense in because he's not a threat out there. Harden is a guy that um, Harden is a guy that it, he has to have the ball in his hands. And is that going to work well with Joel Embiid? No, I can tell you that. That's an, that's another reason why I wouldn't want to bring Harden to Philly. But that's that's just me. Now I want to get to. Uh, there's a lot of things I want to get to today. Um, I figure if I do enough talking, it'll keep you calm. <laughs> you're probably right about that. Hey, it's, your emotions have just been just off the rails. It's off been a rails. tough couple weeks, sports-wise. That is. 
okay. You go home every night, you got a great life. Exactly. All right, so let's get into a couple things here. Um, And let's get to the ratings part here on college football. Because there's a couple areas I want to delve into here. The college football national championship, college football playoff national championship game had the lowest viewership of any national championship game in the BCS or playoff era. So that's going way back. Okay, we're going all the way back here to what, 1999. All right? It's the lowest of any of them by a wide margin. Uh, it ended up drawing 18 million viewers. I'm trying I'm just scrolling through here to see um, bum, 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 bum. It is the only one. It's the only national championship game to be below. Well, it's below 20, but I want to pick a see if I can pick a higher number. Um, yeah, 23 million LSU Ohio State. Um, 21 million USC Oklahoma. Uh, interesting. Um, and USC won the game by 34. So this is the only national championship game below 20 million viewers in this century. In fact, in terms of total viewership, the Sugar Bowl and Rose Bowl in the semifinals actually had more viewers than the national championship. Not good. And when I mean viewership, I'm talking about it was a mega cast across the board. So this included, you add everybody up. SEC Network, ESPN2, ESPN, ESPNU, News, right? They add it all up, and they had 18.65 million viewers. All right. Now, I should start out by saying that's actually really good in terms of and I think right now there are a lot of programs that would love to have 18.65 million viewers. But if you're college football, you're worried about the trending here. You have 7 million fewer viewers than last year's national championship game. You have 6.5 fewer than two years ago. You have almost 10 million fewer viewers than three years ago. See where I'm going with this? And that's going to be an argument on the of people because it's the same teams over and over again. It doesn't build anything. That it's going to be an argument to expand this. Because the national championship I mean, the national semifinals, when the further team furthest west in the last one, two, three, four years is Norman, Oklahoma, you're cutting off half the country in the playoff. 
But there's another part to this, too, and this is going to really nip at the heels of the suit. Who loves the little guy. And I've been telling you, America is not enamored with the little guy. We'll tell you exactly what the numbers show in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. 2020 was not what anyone expected. Nor did Sunbury Motors Kia think they would have their best new Kia sales in the last 22 years. SMC success is because of PPP. No, not the loan. But people, product, and price. We have the same great people. Now listen to the product and price for 2021. Choose from 11 2021 Kia Fortes starting at 18665 Saving you 2640 The Kia Sportage all-wheel drive is discounted up to 3775 Sportage is start at 23490 With 22 in stock. You have to see the all-new redesigned 2021 Kia Sereno. Now with available second row captive chair. Buy this mid-size all-wheel drive SUV for $31,990. 2021 will be even better because of PPP. People, product, and price. Sunbury Motors Kia on the Golden Strip. Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf. All right, great to have you with us today. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors. All right, the suit always touts the little guy, the little guy. And a lot of people are talking about, oh, you got a you know, group of five. Look at Cincinnati. Look at UCF. Look, okay. Guess what? America is not that interested. You're saying, really? Here are the numbers. So these are all the New Year's Six games plus the national championship. So these are seven bowl games. So in this particular year, very good. Peach Bowl, Cincinnati, UGA ended up four out of Seven, very good. But it was also done in the ESPN Megacast. That is the only one where it was done in the Megacast. So this was a combined number across the board with all the platforms that were used for the semifinals. And they finished fourth. That's good. By the way, the Cotton Bowl this year uh, had a half million fewer viewers than Penn State's game last year with Memphis. Penn State Memphis, that game finished um, sixth last year, but it was number one among those that were just on ESPN. The other three were Mega Cast Plus, the other two were ESPN and ESPN2. All right, but sixth. Year before, Peach Bowl, let's see, ding, 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 where is it here? Fiesta Bowl, LSU UCF, seventh and last. Peach Bowl, UCF Auburn, year before, seventh and last. Cotton Bowl, Wisconsin, Western Michigan, seventh and last. The Penn State USC Rose Bowl game had ten and a half more, ten and a half million more viewers than that game. Year before, Houston, Florida State, Peach Bowl, seventh and last by a wide margin. Year before, Fiesta Bowl, Boise State, Arizona, sixth. Beat out the uh, TCU Ole Miss Peach Bowl. Now you're down to five. This is the BCS window. UCF Baylor, last. Northern Illinois, Florida State, last. 
let's see. There was no Group of Five team in 12. In 11, UConn, Oklahoma, last. 10, Boise State, TCU, finished fourth. Beat out Iowa, Georgia Tech, by the way. In nine, Cincinnati, Virginia Tech, last. In fact, the Penn State-USC Rose Bowl game had 11.5 million more viewers. In eight, Hawaii, Georgia, last. Boise State, Oklahoma, finished fourth in that classic game. Then at this point, I think we're kind of out of guys. Um, Utah Pitt last. Utah would have been a group of five team back then. Uh, let's see. Anybody else in here that fits? And Utah Pitt. Utah Pitt, by the way, the head coach was Urban Meyer at Utah. Just so you know. But... The, over and over again. Who's finishing last? It's it's the game with the least amount of interest. Bowl games this year. Bowl games. Uh, of all the bowl games, four of them fell under a million. They were the New Orleans Bowl, Louisiana Czech, Georgia Southern, 923,000. Mobile, Alabama Bowl, Western Kentucky, Georgia State, 923,000. The Idaho famous Idaho Potato Bowl, Tulane in Nevada, nine hundred fourteen thousand, and then the Myrtle Beach Bowl was uh, North Texas against App State, six hundred thirty-seven thousand. Those are all the games of the twenty-first, twenty-second, and then twenty-third, and one was on the twenty-sixth. Everything else had one point three million or higher. The Montgomery Bowl at one point three million. Boca Raton one point six. Arizona Bowl on CBS at 1.8. New Mexico, 1.9. 2 million for the Charlotte Bowl. First Responder, 2.1. Camellia, 2.1. Armed Forces, 2.3. Cure, 2.6. Gator, 2.7. Alamo, uh, 3 million. The um, Russell Athletic Bowl, 3.2. Liberty Bowl, 3.7. Outback 4-1, Citrus 4-8, Cotton 5-8, Fiesta 6-7, Orange 7-6, Peachhead 8-7. Then you get to the playoff ones. People are watching bowl games. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com, Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Fabulous new inventory. Pre-owned inventory, best selection of anywhere. And not only that, it is carrying the Sunbury Motors seal of approval. Great service department, fabulous sales staff, all at Sunbury Motors, 
4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. You know, it's interesting, uh, Rasheed Walker announced yesterday on Twitter that he's coming back. This um, season, this three-and-a-half-week period, played out a, a close to what I thought it was going to play out, but it played out even a little bit better than I thought. You look in the last three-and-a-half weeks between recruiting, transfers, and opting for the NFL – I'm not so sure it could have played out any better for Penn State. It's not over yet either. But when you look at it, the recruiting class, I talked about the average star ranking. And I talked about that with James, and it was something that you know I wanted to point out. When you have a smaller class, it's the average star ranking you have to look at. You can accumulate all sorts of points just on volume in terms of where you're ranked. But if the average star ranking is about what you've been getting, you're doing fine. And I think they did fine. There, there's some players in there that right away I think they feel can play for them. Now you get to the trans now you get to the NFL part. We all knew going into the season, not by pure knowledge, but just by strong gut feeling that Pat Fryermuth was back, but that Pat was going to go to the NFL when it was all said and done. And that's exactly what he's done. And I hope he has a great career. You can't ask for a better guy than Pat Fryermuth. I think most of us felt that if he had another really good season, Jason Oway would go. And you know what? He had a couple double-digit tackle games. He had seven tackles for losses. And you just knew that he was going to opt to go. You knew that Shaka Tony, five years, Shaka had a really good season. He should go to the NFL draft. Will Fresh, Will Fry should go. Michael Mennett should go. These guys should all go to the NFL draft and not opt for a sixth year. You know, Antonio Shelton's going to go to Florida for a sixth year. Okay, fine. But they have four transfers that have come in, and Brisker's coming back, and Dotson's coming back, and Tariq Castro Fields is coming back, and Rasheed Walker is coming back. And you got Noah Kane working his way back off an injury, and he'll be back. You feel like this three-and-a-half-week period has set a foundation to position Penn State football better because you don't know how that three-and-a-half-week period is going to go. You just don't know. The, the early signing day, you knew how it was going to go. I mean, that was pretty much going in. You pretty much knew who was going to sign and so forth. But everything else you don't know, it becomes a wild card. Who's staying? Who's going? Who's opting for the draft? This three-and-a-half-week period turned out really well for Penn State. And when it starts, you're waiting to see day by day how it's going to go. And in the end, you assess and look around and say, you know what? That went pretty well. Now we bring in Mark Wogenrich, SI.com. Mark, great to have you with us. Always a pleasure. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for being here. I want to keep going on that the Space Hotel yeah. conversation. Uh, That's fascinating to me. I didn't know about that. I, I'm thinking that extra billion probably is because of uh, permits and stuff like that here on Earth. And, uh, you know, who, and, who runs that out, out there? But so. again, there's no game there. <laughs> okay, there's no game in the Space Hotel. <laughs> no seat license. <laughs> yeah. Uh, seat license, yeah, you know. But there's no game. Right? There's nothing to cheer for. There's also no dirt. So, you know, the dirt in L.A. is very expensive. I don't know if you know that. All right. So 
Uh, part of the turf at Beaver Stadium will be occupied by a new offensive coordinator. So what did you think about this uh, move that uh, happened today? <laughs> I First, I congratulate James Franklin on keeping that um, extremely quiet. I, I, you know, I, I'm sure he probably enjoyed that as much as making the hire. <laughs> that, was a, that was a fascinating move to me because, if, I, I mean, if you, not knowing the inner workings of what went behind it. I, you know, starting out by saying that I do not know um, what prodded his decision. Only James knows that, and the, you know the handful of people around him who were involved in it. If you were to tell me though that an offensive coordinator, um, who James Franklin had said over the last year, they, he shared a lot of philosophical um, ideas with, who had no spring practice, no real off season to install his offense, had to do everything virtually lost his top two running backs before basically the first series of the first game. Then lost its All-American tight end four games in. Um, would get one season? Um, yeah, I would have been incredibly surprised at that. Probably just as surprised as I was this morning um, to see that. So that kind of led me to believe that maybe Mike Yersich, um, the new offensive coordinator coming from Texas, was a, a guy that James um, really liked, really wanted, and really pursued. And when you look at the numbers, uh, his number, you know, the numbers at Oklahoma State were 478 yards per game. I mean, that's in his tenure. Now there are times, let's face it, in the Big Twelve during that time where there was a little bit of video game football going on. All right, uh, but then he goes to Texas this year, where, by the way, the Big Twelve had a really good year defensively. Uh, in a lot of ways, but they still average 475 yards a game and 40, almost 43 points a game. Uh, when you look at the Texas offense, they're only like 0.3 points behind what Oklahoma did this year, and and, and he's a genius. Everybody tells you. So, what's your thought on that? Yes, and then sandwich that with the year he spent at the pack, passing game coordinator at Ohio State, Justin Fields' yeah. first year, where he went 13 to one, and Fields was a Heisman finalist, and that was count. Know, that 19 offense was pretty incredible there, too. Yeah, um, yeah, he's got the goods, and he's got the goods at multiple spots. I look forward to seeing Big 12 offense in Beaver Stadium. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that that's ever happened before. I, I wonder how it's going to um, mesh with their personnel. Um, does Penn State have the offense of the personnel to run that? Um, how will they recruit into that? And then also, how does how does he have to adjust? You know, how does mm-hmm. how does Mike Yersich have to adjust his offense? It, you know, is it going to be that just that pace? I mean, I, you know, having seen a little bit of you know Oklahoma State those years, I just I, I mean, what was their you know they ran on a twelve second play clock kind of thing? I mean, it was sure. bang 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 all over, and he's gonna you know I'm, I'm sure that that is gonna mitigate some of that. But, I mean, all the things like the motion that he does, mm-hmm. the use of the players, and, and, and attacking over the top, and all those sorts of, all those sorts of things. Um, yeah, if I were a Penn State offensive player, um, after the shock wears off, I'd be looking at this and saying, this looks exciting. I mean, Kirk Shiraka's offense looked exciting, too, but so does this. Well, I think we can, we can adjust. We can handle this. You mentioned the personnel, so let's get mm-hmm. to that part. Part of this that will make Mike Yurcich's job easier uh, easier was the announcement last night by Jahan Dotson. Mm-hmm. What does that mean moving forward for the coordinator and the quarterback? 
Yeah, oh my goodness, yes. I was just waiting on that one. Um, I thought the further we got into January, the more likely it was that Jahan was going to announce he was going to return. And now you, I think you come in and you look at him as saying, I like to throw the ball downfield to guys I know who are going to be big playmakers. There's my guy. And then we can work back from from that and find out the other pieces of the puzzle and how they're going to, you know, how those other guys are going to fit in. But, man, you've got that anchor right there. Um, maybe you look at the running backs, too, and see these are, you know, with, you know, uh, Lee, Holmes, um, having great ends of the year. Hopefully, you know, a healthy Noah Kane returning them forward back. That you've got elements there that you can incorporate into that passing game. And then in Penn State's quarterback room, they're going to want that. This offense really requires kind of that accurate guy, that short, accurate, quick read guy. Um, maybe that will benefit, you know, a quarterback like Sean Clifford, who, you know, I thought he was really good when he was just, you know, when he was getting the ball out quickly and, you know, being confident and being assured and firing right away. And then maybe this will help with just, you know, kind of limit the reads, maybe give him two and, and he's gone. Or he's able to throw that sort of thing. Um, I don't. I wouldn't suspect he'd want to run the quarterbacks as much as Penn State did, particularly at the end of last year. Which you know that was an offense they ran successfully. They had to do it. I think they're you know going to be looking at at, at obviously not having to lean in uh, into that so much. Um, but the key will be, you know, another. You know, if you have another off season with um, an offensive coordinator installing uh, uh, online again through Zoom again yeah. and virtually again. That, uh, I, you know, that had to be – that's a risk, I think, that, that Penn State and James Franklin are taking for this season. Which now brings you to the other mm-hmm. part. Now, Joe Moorhead left to become the head coach at Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. Ricky Riney left to become mm-hmm. the head coach at Old Dominion. But the bottom line is, you know, and obviously for a game they had Tyler Bowen, but essentially this is the fourth offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. full-time offensive coordinator mm-hmm. that Sean Clifford – and Will Levis, uh, especially Sean, Sean will be his fourth, to work with. When Sean talked about the change to Kirk, and at that point it had been three, what did he say about it back then, which now becomes an important uh, conversation moving forward, now it's four? Yeah, I'm just trying to remember. I don't remember that necessarily specifically, but I know, I remember him being excited about um, seeing Kirk Scirocco's offense and meeting him and talking with him, yeah. that sort of thing, and then getting to know him. And he said, he, he, you know, at the Cotton Bowl, he said that their initial, um, like the initial uh, meeting and their initial discussions were really positive. That situationally, though, was different because he knew he was losing an offensive coordinator to a head coaching job, yes. and it wasn't like in a replacement situation. So. Right. If he, you know, had he developed that kind of relationship, you know, with Kirk Sharaka over the past year, that now that ends abruptly, I think you know, for a guy like Sean who's been around and who's a veteran at this point, he's going to be understanding the business aspect of this. He mm-hmm. most certainly is, and he knows right. if he wants to, you know, if he wants to play, you know, if he's got in any way uh, hopes and desires to play NFL football, then he's going to have to go through things like this too. So to approach that professional, I think he would approach that the same way. I'm sure it's probably going to be exhausting. He's like, are we going to do this all over again? Especially if we have to do this all over again on Zoom with another coordinator. If we don't get what we have, you know, we don't get the kind of situation, or if we have to repeat the kind of situation, that's going to be exhausting for him, I'm sure. But as long as they can keep, uh, you know, maybe 
some you know similarity that it's not just going to be going in and and you know ripping everything apart as James Franklin said that they had he and Kirk Sharaka had a language that they shared that if it's, if, it's, if it's the same kind of similar situation with the Ursich, that it's not going to be uh, you know another complete overhaul. Right. Part of how one has to recruit these days, and college basketball, of course, has been used to this now for a few years, going from grad transfers to just plain transfers. But the transfer part is part of this. We've seen players over the years, some have transferred out, but now there's been a direct line of transfers in. What have you thought about the transfers that Penn State has had, the four that so far have committed to saying they were going to do it? The thing that strikes me with all four of these guys is they're veterans. I mean, they have a lot of experience. You know, like John Lovett, the running back, has a lot of experience. The the, um, the Temple defensive lineman, um, it's all conference. I mean, these kind um, these kinds of players seem like they fit in situationally. And I mean, you hate to use the term plug and play in college, but it almost you know it kind of feels like that that they are going to fill um, needs and requirements. That um, that that Penn State has, I, you know, for to bring in a running back, you would almost kind of say, "What? Why? Why do they need a running back?" Well, I think if, if anything, twenty twenty showed you is that yeah, you're going to need depth at that position most yeah. most certainly. Um, finish the twenty nineteen season, and you're looking at how are we supposed to get all these? You know, how are we supposed to get six running back snaps? And you don't expect to be you know snapping two true freshmen in the you know second week of the season. So that to me is is that I see veterans that they're bringing in. I, I see guys that they look at as are going to be um, professional, that these guys have experience. They're not coming in. They're not transferring necessarily um, because they're sitting behind other people. They haven't done that. They're just looking for other experiences. And there's, you know, they have, you know, they have field experience. This is like that, I don't know, and, you know, um, money ball. With yeah. um, and I'm blanking on the players and David Justice. Kind yes. of bringing in like I want you, David Justice, to be that you know, kind of pro for all these young guys. I, you know, right. I think in college football, you know, for better or for worse, you're going to start seeing that. And if they can help you, if those guys can help you, um, you know, as veteran presences, yeah, you should do it. Yeah, and uh, I completely. I mean, part of this, I you see this in college basketball all the time, and you do too, Mark. You want to stay older. Penn State had a young mm-hmm. football team last year. The, the guys they brought in are older, and it helps give you that veteran presence around there. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, Jim Ferry, the interim basketball coach, I think was discussing that on one of his uh, on a media session was, you know, before the basketball team was shut down. And I, I think one thing he mentioned was about Wisconsin. He made that comparison. <laughs> Wisconsin's an old team. We want to get to be an old team. So he thought he could use the transfer portal positively in basketball as well to bring in players and remain an old team. And, yeah, Penn State would have, what, eight seniors last year, um, yeah. basically eight kind of scholarship seniors. It was not an old team. If you could do that, you know, that's, you know if you can stay old or, or kind of keep yeah. an older roster by bringing in bets like that, yeah, that, I think that helps. Wisconsin's uh, starting lineup is 22 to 24 years of age. <laughs> that's crazy. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not joking about that. <laughs> And they can all and they can, and they can all come back next year too. Like, are they not older than an NBA team? Wasn't that one of the things I, they I might are. have been stating that? But well, no, they are. They're older than some <laughs> NBA teams. Yeah. It's, it's it's really 
it's stunning. Uh, and they end up playing four of their first five games at home in the conference. All right. Not, not that anybody's noticed. Mark, happy New Year to you, sir. Thank you so much. It's always great having you on. Appreciate your analysis. Appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Be back on the court soon. All right, great to have you with us. Uh, Let's uh, get to uh, some news now. Uh, Penn State's uh, started to revamp through the Big Ten its basketball schedule. They're going to play six games in 13 days. Um, So uh, they're going to start Sunday with Purdue, and they've practiced the last three days. They scrimmaged this morning, so they're practicing. And they scrimmaged this morning over at the uh, practice gym. They've got Purdue on Sunday at 1. We're on at 12.30. Then Illinois has been moved to Tuesday the 19th. Rutgers is now going to go into Thursday the 21st. Then they've got Northwestern on Saturday the 23rd. Wisconsin's been rescheduled for Wednesday the 27th. And then they're at Nebraska on Saturday the 30th. So they have six games in 13 days on their return. They're already playing right now the number one ranked schedule in the country, according to Ken Palm. They have the Penn State as the 20th ranked offense in the country, according to Ken Palm. And they're going to have to make that pay off, but the, the foundation's still going to have to be their defense. Uh, so, again, this is what they have. They have... Six games, 13 days under the reschedule, but still two to be rescheduled. They still have to reschedule at Ohio State and home with Michigan. Uh, And this is how it plays out now under the reschedule. Sunday, Purdue at West Lafayette, Mackey Arena, 1 o'clock, 1230 the airtime. Then on Tuesday, the 19th, They'll just stay out there. They'll go from Purdue right over to Illinois. And it'll be an 8.30 game on Tuesday the 19th with an 8 o'clock airtime. Then they come home to play Rutgers two days later at the Jordan Center, uh, time to be announced. Then they have Northwestern at home on Saturday the 23rd at either noon or 6. Then on Wednesday the 27th, they've got Wisconsin here. So Penn State will end up playing three consecutive games at home. And then they go to Nebraska to play in Lincoln. Now, Nebraska should be off pause by then. And that's something to watch for in all this, is that I know there's been some talk about working the schedule a little bit around Nebraska. We'll see. Now, Penn State still has a game at Ohio State to reschedule and a home game with Michigan to reschedule. There are some openings to do it. I've looked at both schedules. It can be done. And let's see how they work it out here. There's there's some openings in here to do certain things between now and the end of the season. Uh and then we'll find out how everybody else does with this. So six games in 13 days starting on Sunday at Purdue. This is what happens in a COVID season. You have to work the schedule around a little bit. And we saw in football, 
It's I'm trying to think. Did it happen in the Big Ten? I don't think it happened in the Big Ten, but it happened in the ACC and the SEC, where two teams are sitting there saying, "Well, we're not playing," so they ended up. It happened in the Pac-12. Ended up playing each other instead on short notice. Like Cal UCLA was one. That's an example right there of one. And so this is what's being done to make up for it. So that means they, in this new revamp schedule, two of the four misses will be made up with two still pending between Ohio State and Michigan. Although the way Michigan's playing right now, I mean, I don't know if you want to play them. Penn State's the only team. You know, Penn State's the only team that's played them tough. I mean, remember, Livers hit two free throws with one second to go to make it a four-point win, 62-58. Penn State was taking a shot to tie the game in that one. And I mean, other than that, Michigan's been blowing everybody out. I mean, they're winning big. They're eleven and zero. But that is the uh, revamp schedule. I'm sure, Matt jotted that down for programming. Exactly right. <laughs> Already uh, done. Now for Penn State, that means let's see one two. Let's see, I'm trying to see here. That means Penn State will play. Four of its first five on the road, but that's because of the situation. So just to let everybody know that, look, we look at everybody when we talk about this. I don't make commentary aimlessly. When Penn State plays Purdue on Sunday, Purdue's going to play at Indiana Thursday night. That'll be Purdue's fourth consecutive game on the road because they had a game at home with Nebraska postponed because of Nebraska's issue. So everybody's had to, you know, well, not everybody. Uh, so that that's uh, that's the schedule. I mean, it's it's the world of COVID. But for the Big Ten Network, let me see which games are in BTN here. Uh, Purdue, Illinois, Rutgers, Northwestern, Wisconsin. Yeah. Okay. All all six of those games are on BTN. BTN needs the inventory. And this is what it comes down to. I mean, it's, it's this is this is about money. Uh, it's about programming. It's about money. In the end, football and men's basketball—that's that's the deal. Uh, look at the NHL. I mean, the NHL is going to play a 56-game schedule. Initially, and probably for a period of time, you can be assured there'll be no fans in the stands, or very few fans in the stands at most NHL venues. And that is where the NHL gets a huge cut of its money. Just by playing, the NHL will lose a billion dollars. But they also know they have another TV contract coming up. 
They also don't want to deny their players the opportunity to make some coin themselves. They don't want to deny their TV partner. And they, they don't want players sitting in the prime of their career doing nothing. It's good for the game to promote the game and get it out on television, even though you're going to lose money doing it. It's been the same story with football and men's basketball. Football was able to complete its season. The Big Ten completed its season. The Big Ten was able to fulfill many of its TV contracts. The Big Ten was able to fulfill a spot in the college football playoff with two games. Significant. Uh, and not only that, I looked at I looked at the ratings, for example. And Penn State had their game with Michigan was the fourth highest rated game of the weekend. Their game with Ohio State was the number one rated game for the weekend. Their game with Illinois, with Illinois, was the sixth highest rated game of the weekend. I just saw the rundown today. But just getting on TV means everybody gets their cut in the Big Ten of what was able to be be able to put out there. That's the story with this here. BTN needs inventory. They need the inventory. All six of these games I just mentioned are all BTN games. Then after that, let's see here. Then after that, they got Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports 1, ESPN, then back for two games on BTN. But look, it's, a, it's about inventory. It's what it comes down to. And for BTN, look, they want to be carrying games. Everything with a sports network. I don't care whether it's Comcast Sportsnet, AT&T Sportsnet, FS1, ESPN, I don't care what, what sports network it happens to be. You can run all the debate shows, talk shows that you want, um, you know, first take, whatever it may be. Pardon the interruption. That's fine. But the bottom line is what makes the network go are games. That's what it's all centered around. It's inventory. And that's the bottom line. And again, if you want to get, uh, you know, you think about other sports. I thought it was. I uh, think we're going to hear from Kale Sanders, so we were going to hear from him today, but we'll hear from Kale tomorrow from his press conference. Um, talk, and at the end of the press conference, he talked about, "Hey, look, you know, what they've got to do to keep this to keep the sport." Going, he's, and he's and he's prefaced it the same way I preface it. He says, "Not Penn State." He says, "Penn State's not doing anything with wrestling." His concern, Kale's concern, is always big picture, always. I mean, that's why he went up to Boston University to wrestle, trying to save their program. That's why he went out to Utah Valley State. I mean, he's done, he's done a lot of things with the Penn State wrestling program to help other programs. And he's looking at the overall big picture, and let's face it, the finances that you have in intercollegiate athletics. Again, it doesn't affect Penn State. And to be honest with you, it's not going to affect...
you know, probably Big Ten wrestling. Okay? It's not going to affect any of that. But it is going to affect other programs across the country. And, you, you know, and that that's what he's worried about. Do you go from 75 programs and suddenly there are, I don't know, pick a number, 40 to 45? Well, that's not good for the sport.